All right, so praying part three, send me, send me. We've all been sent to do something, right? And I remember the first time that I told Levi, my son, and if you know Levi, uh, you never forget Levi. <laughs> if you've met Levi, he's, he's going he's gonna to light up your life uh, in, in a way that, that uh, not everybody does. He's just got that spark of, of life. He's an incredibly smart kid. I'm so proud of him. I love him so much. But the first time I told Levi to mow the yard was an adventure. All right, and so we lived on, on, a, on a larger property in Illinois. We had six acres and two of it we had to mow. And so I'm like, there's this field part that is pretty safe for Levi to learn how to mow, right? And so I said, Levi, mow the yard. You're gonna go down and back and down and back and down and back and mow the yard. And so I showed him how to work it. I let him test drive around a little bit. I'm good, okay. All right, we're gonna engage the blades and off you go. So I'm like, all right, buddy, get, get it done. So like a dad who thinks he explained himself well, right? And I thought I gave really good instructions. I thought I was really clear. I thought I told him how to do it and what to do. I turn around and go in the house. And so an hour later, uh, Levi comes in, dad, I'm finished. And I'm like, awesome, dude, let's go see how you did. So we walk out to the yard and I'm, <laughs> I just start laughing. I'm like, wow. And the yard this big old field literally looked like Swiss cheese, right? And it was like he just went in curves the whole time and didn't notice all the patches of unmowed grass all over the place. And, um, <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, man, A for effort, buddy, but we're gonna have to work on this a little bit. And so I taught him how when he turned around to follow his tire mark on the way back. And if he just kept putting the tire on that last tire mark, he'd be sure to catch all the spots. Well, lo and behold, the next time he mowed the yard, it was perfect because Levi is a smart kid and he listened to a very important piece of instruction that he didn't understand the first time, right? But I assumed he knew how to do it, right? I'm like, he knows what the yard looks like. Usually he's seen other people mow the yard. He's heard about mowing the yard, right? His whole life, surely he understands, right? But there was a disconnect between what I meant and what I told him to do and the goal and the outcome and what he understood, right? Kind of like when Jolie, my wife, sends me to the store for fruits and veggies and I come back with a stack of frozen pizzas and ice cream, right? There's a disconnect. I was sent for one reason, but I came back with another. Or all the years that I spent coaching my kids in soccer, you know, oh man, these kids are running around like, like, it's like herding cats, right? And I would tell them to kick the ball and they would kick each other. <laughs> or as a youth pastor, I would tell my kids, my youth kids, man, you guys just got to love each other. And then all of a sudden they're loving each other too much. And I'm like, not like that, no PDA. <laughs> no PDA in youth group. Love each other like Jesus, not like that, right? Or just the, all the spouses in the room that have given their spouse a job to do and it doesn't get done how you intended, a.k.a. loading the dishwasher and they didn't do it right, whatever that means, right? Or washing the clothes. You know, my, my, big, my big faux pas is my wife is like, you dried that? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. My bad, Right? You're sweeping wrong. Or maybe you're, as, a, as a wife, you've told your husband, my dad didn't do it like that. Or as a husband, you've told your wife, my wife didn't, my mom didn't do it like that, right? And so 
There's this disconnect between what the job that somebody gave you to do and how it's being done. And you have this feeling that like, I'm trying. I'm trying to do it right, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing right. And so the question as we talk about this prayer, send me today, is what is God sending us to do? You ask 10 people, you do a poll in public, what has God sent us to do? And you'll probably get 10 different answers. These days in our culture, you'll hear things like share the love, bring peace to the world, spread kindness. I think God just wants us to be a good person, right? Do more good than wrong. Here's, a, here's one these days. Find your true self. Live your best life. Stand up for what's right. Uh, and here's one that I just don't really understand. Just good vibes, right? Good vibes. I'm not sure what that means, but hey, it sounds cool, right? And while there's good things to all this stuff, right? Yeah, we want to be peacemakers. Yes, we want to spread love. Yes, we want to be good. Yes, we want to figure out our God-given identity and live in that. But here's the catch. Outside of loving God with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength and loving others, God has given us one clear mission. And as far as he's concerned, just like I thought I had given clear instructions to my son about the yard, he's been clear. He's been completely clear about our mission and what he's called us to do as believers. Let me read a few verses that hopefully will just clear the air. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Doesn't get more clear than that. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Clear. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be, not might be, not when we feel like it, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed. Man, some of us need to memorize this verse and just get it deep down in our heart. Man, we, we need to wake up saying this. For I am not ashamed. Everybody say not ashamed. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. Man, what a verse to stand on. 2 Corinthians 5.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Love that. So it doesn't take a lot of verses and it doesn't take a lot of searching in God's word to figure out our mission. He clearly laid it out. Go and tell, be my witnesses, make disciples, go into all the world, be bold, be Christ's ambassadors, represent Christ. And you might ask, Joe, what does this have to do with prayer? It has to do with prayer because of this. When your prayers line up with God's will for your life, watch out because he's about to do something great. When your prayers when your prayer life lines up with God's purposes and plan and direction for your life, watch out. And so if God says that he's sending you and if God says go, then man, we, it better be a part of our, our prayer life. And so we're going to unpack that today. Let's be real though. 
Most people want to be free from guilt and shame and sin and brokenness and, and, all, and all these good things that come from a relationship with Christ. When we have a relationship with God, man, we're, we get forgiven and we're set free. And that is awesome. We celebrated that, you know, during communion today, right? But something happens in our hearts. And I think this is just human. This is, this is kind of natural. Something happens when we hear that we're called to share our story, when, we're, when we hear that we're called to serve, when we hear that we're called to lead, when we hear that we're called to preach and make disciples. And most of us say, God, I can't do that. When we hear these types of things, where fear happens, nervousness happens, feelings of inadequacy happens. Man, I still remember clear as day as a student hearing from my youth pastor and hearing at church that I'm supposed to go tell people about Jesus and then walking into that public school scared to death. Have you ever been there? Scared to death about what it would look like if I had a conversation with somebody about Jesus. What are they going to say? What am I going to do? What if I don't say it right? What if I sound like an idiot, right? Who am I to influence someone's faith? People in our culture today say, isn't faith supposed to be private? That's kind of the going consensus in our culture, in our society. And we say, we say things like, God, I'm unprepared. I'm unqualified. I'm awkward. No one likes me. No one's going to listen to me, etc. And the excuses go on forever. And the funny thing is, is that incredibly capable people say these things. Convincing people, people that are successful in every single part of their life, but they've convinced themselves they can't do the one clear mission that God has called them to do. My favorite is salesmen, right? They'll convince somebody to buy a brick. But then in the same token say God I can't do that right and so this isn't natural and I just want to encourage you as your pastor today that your greatest potential in serving Christ is many times found on the other side of your greatest fear your greatest potential in what God has called you to do is probably lying right on the other side of your greatest fear and so when it comes to this mission that God has given us how do we pray? Because it starts in your prayer life. If you're going to have effectiveness in the world and actually accomplishing this mission that God has given you, it's going to start in your prayer life. And so number one, when it comes to this mission God has given us, how do we pray? Number one, I pray for the lost. I pray for the lost. Now I am fully aware that if somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and you might be in that chair today, you say, I'm just searching, I'm just trying to figure this out, I don't know what this is all about. Man, when everybody's singing, it's kind of weird. Like, like it's just, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Do I lift my hands? Do I clap? Do I just hold them at my side? I don't know what to do. That's fine. You're in the right spot. I want to encourage you to keep kicking the tires and keep learning about Jesus. But I totally understand when I say lost people, you might say, I'm not lost. I'm not lost. You might say, oh, I, I know where I'm going in life. I know what I'm doing. You know, how dare you call me lost? But when we read scripture, regardless of our feelings or our opinions or, you know, this is what Jesus came to do. 
And it begs a very, very important question in each and every one of our lives because Jesus said in Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So the very purpose of Christ's coming was for the lost. And so for you and for me, we have to answer this question. Am I lost or am I found? We sang such a cool song this morning. I thank God, you know, I was lost and I was found. Jesus found me, right? And so this is a huge question. What camp are you in today? On what side of the coin do you fall? Are you lost or are you found? When you look at the world, you know, this is a delineating factor. The friends in my life, the coworkers in my life, the people I pass in the hall at school in my life, are they lost or are they found? A lot of times we just want to look at everybody the same. Oh, oh, oh man, he's a good person. Oh, these are good people that I, I rub shoulders with. Oh, oh, man, I've got great neighbors. But the real question is, are they lost or are they found? In Luke chapter 15, and I encourage you to put this on your devotional list for this week, to go home, there's three incredible stories in this one chapter that all talk about lost things. It talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, right? And I encourage you to make that a part of your devotions because it speaks the heart of God for people that have not come home to a relationship with Jesus. But to see people as lost or found completely changes your perspective on life. A lot of times it's just easier to ignore the fact that you have a family member or a friend or a coworker that's lost because that's kind of heavy right? If you're an unbeliever today and, and you just begin to think about that and you feel this, this little conviction creeping into your heart that you might be lost, I just encourage you, let it in. Because the best thing for a lost thing, or the best thing to happen to something that's lost is to get found. And Jesus wants to find you today. He wants to bring you into the family. He wants to say, hey, I love you. I love you so much as you are and, and too much to leave you that way. And so, but when you see people as lost or found, it completely changes your perspective and your mission in life. You know, when things get lost, what, what do we do? We send rescue helicopters, right? We send out search dogs. We send out scuba divers. We spare no expense and waste no energy, or we waste all the energy in trying to find the lost person. And I would just encourage you today and challenge you. Man, when you pray for the lost, is there that kind of urgency? And this is why we need to pray this, because, because what, what we pray and get down deep into our heart is going to drive how we live in life. Then number two, the second way that we pray uh, when we pray, God send me, is we pray for workers. I pray for workers. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Jesus says, or it says that when Jesus saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. What do we see in that verse? We see compassion, which is Jesus' heart breaking when he sees the world. 
And it says that he looks at the crowd and it's like they're helpless, they're lost, they, they don't have a leader. And this isn't the kind of verse that we use to like look down on people, but I remember when I was lost and I needed somebody to lead me. I needed somebody to guide me, right? And so it's not a better than thing. It's just, man, when you see somebody that's lost and broken, your heart breaks for them. We see leadership in this verse, right? We see prayer in this verse. We see growth in this verse. I just want to give you a little wake-up call when it comes to the church in America today. You know, estimates are anywhere from 65 to 80% of our churches in America across the board are plateaued or declining, which means that most churches aren't growing. They're not seeing people come to know Jesus. They're not, you know, doing this, this very clear mission that God has called us to do. 65 to 80%. That breaks my heart. And man, and so Jesus' prayer is right in line with what we need to pr- be praying. God, send more workers and let it start with me. Listen, only 42% of millennials attend church. That's a problem. And so we need to pray for more workers. The average age of ministers, people in full-time ministry doing like what I do, is dropping. The average age is, the, actually, no, the average age is getting higher the number of, of, of young people going into the ministry is getting lower. And it's not just full-time vocational ministers that we need more of, church. It's we need more pastors. We need more marketplace leaders. We need more teachers that see their work as a mission and not a job and not a paycheck. We need more doctors. We need more lawyers. We need more people in the marketplace, people in the trades all over the place that see their work as a mission and not just a job. And so when's the last time that you and I, as followers of Christ, prayed, God, send more workers, send, call more people. God, if it's me, let it be me. But God, send more workers. This is a prayer that man, I pray that you're praying over our youth and our kids. Because so many kids and youth are called into the ministry, not just vocational ministry, but a life of ministry at a young age in elementary school, and in high school. So pray for workers. The third thing that we pray for, I pray to be sent. Man, this is a dangerous, powerful, life-changing prayer. In Isaiah 6, 8, we, say, we see Isaiah praying this prayer. It says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? And I said, and that's Isaiah, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Too many times we pray this prayer, God, here I am, but send the pastor. Or here I am, but send my life group leader. Or God, here I am, but, you know, just anyone else. Don't send me. What a powerful prayer, though. And we talked about praying scripture. We talked about praying these things over our life. And so when we, when we talk about being sent, we need to be pray, God, send me. Me. With all my, um, you know, feelings of being unqualified, with all my feelings of inadequacy, with all my feelings of insecurity, with all my feelings of I can't, here am I. Send me. Listen. Your relationship with Christ 
It is a personal relationship, but it doesn't stay that personal. It was never meant to stay personal. There's no such thing as a private relationship with Jesus. That would be an oxymoron. Why? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world, keyword word world, for God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus' love for the world was anything but private. It was the most public, the most exposed, the most outwardly focused love that has ever lived on the face of the planet. And so the same way that Jesus loved the world is the way that he's calling you and I to love the world in a public, not private, outspoken way. Something powerful happens when you take on this mantle of being sent, that God, you're sending me, right? It becomes a part of your identity. I'm a sent one. I'm somebody that goes and speaks on his behalf. Wow. It changes your perspective on life. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how confident you are. Send me, God, to my neighbor, to my school, to my marketplace, to my family. Powerful prayer. The fourth thing that we pray for is we pray for the church. We pray for the church. Some people are just, have kind of just lost faith in the church, right? And when I hear people say that, I know that a couple things happened. One, they're just critical people. Or two, they got hurt. They've been wounded by a person. And instead of labeling their, their, their pain on this person hurt me, they say the church hurt me. You know, because certain people within the church might have done something that hurt them, right? But the, the church itself, the, the biblical term of the church is not one person. It's the body of Christ. It's the collective, you know, gathering together of the believers. It's, it's the remnant. It's the people that love Jesus. They are the church. And it's the only organization in the world that was created for those who aren't yet in it, right? It starts with me, the church does, but it doesn't end with me. It's, it, we're, a, we're a family. It's a team activity, but each teammate has individual and equal responsibility. We all have a job to do and a part to play, right? Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing? If we just stopped right there, we're like, yes, everyone. But how? Can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers, plural, who bring good news. You see, I'm not the only messenger in this place. We are all messengers bringing the good news to a broken and dying and hurting and lost world. Amen? You see, I still believe that the church is the hope of the world. I still believe that you and you and you and you and you and you and every single person in this room has a God-given mission and destiny to follow. 
And it's this, to be a part of the sent ones, the sent people, the messengers who bring good news. We all get to be a part. The church is God's chosen instrument to spread the message of Christ across the globe. And we need to raise our commitment to being, to being a part of the family of God and making a difference together. Every single one of us. When Jesus, or when, when Peter, I'm sorry, professed that Christ was the son of the living God, that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said this back to Peter in Matthew 6, 18. He said, now I say to you that you are Peter. So he changed his name from Simon to Peter. And Peter means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, right? Another translation says, you know, I, I, now you're Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and, all the, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? And so why do we need to pray for the church? Because we're supposed to be in the offensive, not in the defensive. The gates of hell, the powers of hell, they're defensive measures. Gates are meant to keep people out, right? Gates, they're like defensive, which means the gates, the defensive measures that hell has set up against the church will not prevail. We're gonna bust through. We're gonna blow right through all the defenses that the evil one has set up against our family members and our friends and our neighbors and our, and our communities and our schools and, and every single area that we, that we interact with in life. And the Holy Spirit empowered through us is gonna bust through all those defenses and be victorious. And you know where it starts, church? It starts in your prayers. It starts in you praying for the church. It starts for you praying for the instrument that God has put here on this planet to be a city on a hill and a light to the world. The body of Christ, the church. I still believe the church is the hope of the world and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Amen? And so we pray for the church. We are on the offensive. We're not backing down. We're not cowering. We are empowered. We are equipped and we are called by the almighty God. I pray for the church to live this out. Fifth, as we close today, I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom. I know that as I've gone through all these points, some of them are a little nerve wracking. You know, I get it. I pray for the lost. We all have got some lost person on our mind that God's put on our mind to pray for, right? I pray to be sent. It's kind of nerve-wracking. Like, really, me? Okay, God, send me. Pray for workers. Okay, that's kind of outside of us. But, you know, man, we need more workers. God, help us to feel the weight that is needed for more workers. I pray for the church. You know, yes, we all want to be the church to be successful. But this one really hits home because I pray for wisdom. Because if you're going to need one thing to accomplish all that God has called you to do, it's going to be wisdom. Colossians 4, 5 says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. You see, up until now, a lot of times when, when a message like this is preached, it's like, yeah, come on, we're going to storm the gates of hell with a squirt gun, right? And we're just, we're just 
spraying and praying and, and, and just going crazy, telling everybody about Jesus. And we're posting memes about Jesus on Facebook. And we're wearing our Christian t-shirt. And we're dropping the windows and going through our neighborhood with, with K-Love blaring because we want everybody to hear it, right? And, and we think that is, the ver- that, is the, that is what it looks like to live a life out loud. When in reality, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to fill you with my spirit, right? But be wise. Be wise. Be wise like a serpent. Be innocent like doves. Be wise. Paul, over and over and over, and, and this is one example, he, when he wrote to the churches, he's like, be smart. Be wise in your interactions. Have a good reputation. Now, don't, get, don't hear what I'm not saying. This does not mean that we compromise. It doesn't mean that we don't stand up for what we believe. It does not mean that we don't speak the truth in love. But we have to be wise. Paul went all over the place on his missionary journey and talked to all kinds of different people, right? And, but to each different group, he spoke in a way that they wouldn't understand and in a wise way. Why do we need wisdom? Because hurt people hurt people. And when you step out there to go and make a difference and to talk to people about your faith and to try to lead people to Christ, you know what's going to happen a lot of times? Their hurt is going to come out in a hurtful way towards you. Why? Because sin causes brokenness. So don't be surprised that people are broken. And don't be surprised that when you try to reach out and minister to broken people, that sometimes it it might hurt you a little bit. It might hurt your feelings a little bit. And this is all the more reason to do it with wisdom that only comes from Christ. And so we respond with compassion. We respond with hope. We respond with grace. We respond with truth. But we're praying our guts out along the process. God, give me wisdom in how I share this. God, give me wisdom in how I say this. God, let my words be seasoned with grace and always have the right response for everyone. What a powerful prayer to pray. Wisdom sees through the hurt to someone who is lost and needs Jesus. Wisdom sees through the crazy behavior That when you're looking through the eyes of Christ and you're looking through the eyes of Scripture and you look at somebody that's broken in sin, you're like, they're crazy. Like, what is wrong with them? Right? Like, that's our natural response. But when we pray for wisdom, we see somebody who is broken and lost without a shepherd. And wisdom sees through the hurt to someone who is lost and needs Jesus. This is why we have to pray for wisdom, church. Because if you do it in your own flesh, you're going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time and get the wrong result. Just because you ask God to send you doesn't mean he's sending you somewhere safe. You're going to find yourselves in conversations you're not ready for. You're going to find yourselves in conversations where if you don't have the Holy Spirit working through you, you if you haven't prayed up before you spoke up, then you're gonna find yourself speechless. But my prayer for you is is as you pray for wisdom, when you show up in those conversations, the Holy Spirit is gonna be gonna speak through you with words that can only come from Him. And this happens when we park ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I need wisdom. 
I know this conversation is going to come up sooner or later. God, I know that you're going to give me an opportunity to speak to so-and-so. I need wisdom, Jesus. I'll be the first to tell you, church. Ministry is painful. And so, and because it's painful, you're going to need all the wisdom that the Holy Spirit can give you to do it effectively. But here's what else I've learned that hopefully brings you hope today. It's better to hurt with a purpose than to exist without one. It's better to carry some weight. Like Jesus, when he looked out at the crowd, the, the word says that he, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It's better to carry that kind of you know, it feels like hurt sometimes. That kind of weight for people that are broken and lost and don't have Jesus. It's better to carry that with purpose than to exist without one. And Jesus has given you a purpose. I want to encourage some of you because you're still, as you listen to this message, all that is coming out of your heart is insecurity. All that is coming out of your heart is the, is the thoughts that you can't, that you're not equipped, that you're not qualified. I just want to encourage you today. Insecurity is the great clouder of vision. It's the great clouder of purpose. It clouds your, you know, your God-given destiny. And so you pray, God, give me the wisdom to see through it. God, I pray for the lost. And I'm praying for the lost people in my life every single day because I want that burden to grow. I want it to grow so great that I'll do anything. I'll send out the search, res search and rescue you know, helicopters in my life. Do whatever it takes. God, I want to pray for workers. Jesus, we need more people going into ministry. God, we need more people leading life groups. God, we need more people mentoring youth. God, we need more people leading kids. And God, we need more people leading in the marketplace. God, send me. Jesus, here I am. I know I don't have much, but everything that I have, I give to you. Take me wherever you want to send me, God. Do whatever you want to do in my life. Send me, Jesus. Whether it's across the street, whether it's across the country, whether it's across the world, I'll go. Jesus, I pray for the church. God, I pray that we're an effective church. God, I pray that we're a church on the offensive, not offending people unnecessarily, but God, we are marching forward with a message and a purpose. God, we pray for the church. Help us to be effective. God, give us wisdom. Jesus, we need wisdom today. We need wisdom so that we can interact with this world in these complex times, with these com complex questions and these complex issues. And all these things that, God, we don't have answers for. Give us grace. Give us truth, God. In Jesus' name. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes today. <clears throat> maybe at some point during the service. Maybe during the worship or during communion or during the message. And I, I know that this message today was kind of tailored towards those that are following Jesus. But maybe at some point today you realized that there's a God in heaven that loves you, that sent his one and only son to die in your place on a cross. He shed his blood so that you could be free of your sin and guilt and shame and you could have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today and you're like, I need Jesus, 
And you're, you might even say, Joe, I don't even, I don't even know where this is coming from. I don't know what's going on in my life. I can't explain it, but I just know that I need him. And if that's you today, whether you're in this room or you're online today, raise your hand. Say, Jesus, that's me. I need you. I want to give my heart and my life to Christ today. Amen. Thanks for raising your hand. And right now at your seat or on the couch or wherever you're watching from today, I just want you to begin to pray a prayer in your own words, inviting Christ to come into your life. It could sound something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you with my life. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again on the third day. And I want to begin to follow you. Help me to grow as I read your word. Help me to grow in my understanding of it. God, help me to get people around me in my life that love you also and that can help me live this, this life for you. Help me, Jesus, as I begin this journey. In Jesus' name.